Welcome to the How's Your Soul podcast. My name is Andrew, and you are listening to Season 1, Episode 20, The New Human. In this episode, we begin a conversation about the condition of the human soul and what ultimately shapes our ability to grow at the soul level. We look at the life of Jesus and the promise he brings with his euangelion, or good news. stone on this podcast which is really exciting we made it to episode 20 uh i never thought i'd really i mean i thought okay i, I thought I'd, I'd give it a fair chance right so i thought maybe i'd get to episode 20 uh but we keep rolling every week every tuesday morning these are coming out and i'm really excited about it and uh right season one there's still a lot left there's still a lot left of season one i think we have another 20 maybe 25 episodes that'll conclude season one and then i think i'll probably take a little bit of a break maybe a few week break and uh, season two, uh, I don't think anything will change in terms of content, but probably slow down a little bit and um, be a little bit more intentional with each episode. It's not like I'm just pumping these out to pump these out, but sometimes I feel like it's hard to always come up with new content and then make sure it's theologically sound, right? That I'm not just out there in left field sharing my two cents on the church and theology and the soul and life, right? I need I need people smarter than me to be to be agreeing with me or, or ha- at least have an opinion that's worth worth talking about. And uh, so, it, it, but it has been a, a great journey so far and I'm really excited. So this is kind of like the halfway mark, which I guess is why it's kind of a big deal for me, at least uh, for season one. And uh, the feedback's been awesome, and and those who are listening faithfully, thank you so much. Uh, if you if you share it or if you if you've liked it or rated it, it's huge. That's huge. Thank you, a huge thank you, it means the world to me. Uh, I haven't done any marketing. This is just people who f- stumble across my podcast and find it. Uh, but I think season two will probably have a little bit of that going on, right? Just try to get this out to more people because I like it. I like the conversation that kind of happens after this. Some friends that get to listen to it, it kind of creates a really cool point of reference for for just a deep dive on a conversation they could kind of pull up a podcast episode and say hey you talked about this let's talk about it uh, which has just been so cool but anyway i feel like with this episode uh, it might be new to you it's not new to me i've kind of been in this world with 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 uh this lingo the new human uh, for the past few years i'll i'll tell you kind of where it originated for me but i think it needs to start with more of a thought experiment more or less less of a thought experience, more of just a philosophical perspective. So I think that there's really two camps of thought when it comes to how you view humanity. I think one camp of thought uh, is you are good. You are born good and you learn evil. And I think this kind of propagates, you know, in its own way where you, you might ask somebody, you know, hey, if you were to die today, hypothetically, you know, even if you're atheist like hypothetically right do you think you're a good person and i feel like most people would err on that side of 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 the argument yeah i'm a good person you know i don't haven't really done a lot of bad things right i've weighted the scale towards being good and i do think that there's a lot of people who intrinsically believe that like we're, we're good humans are good they're good people and yeah there are bad people but you know at the core we're good people, right? Humans love other humans and we want to take care of one another. And that's kind of the premise. 
is that we're born good and we learn evil. And then there's kind of the other side of that, which is we're born evil and we have to learn good, right? We're born with an inclination or a desire to do wrong. And, and actually, let me expand that a little bit. Um, we're, we're born, I would say this, this philosophy encompasses the idea of selfishness. So we're born with a natural desire to, to be selfish. Self, maybe self-preservation, maybe it's a, a survival instinct, right? If you're more of the uh, if you're the atheist in the conversation here, you may be thinking this is an instinctual thing, right? You have this kind of selfish desire to sustain yourself and garner wealth and material to be successful and comfortable and all those kind of things. And so it's a it's an intrinsic intrinsic value in this side of camp. But we would say, and so showing my hand, I'm obviously in this side. We would say that you're born evil. You're you're born um, with a with a with a presupposition towards doing the wrong thing and you need to be taught how to do the right thing and typically though not always doing the right thing is much more difficult not only because it's against our nature but because by nature good things are just difficult to do they typically uh require self-sacrifice uh in terms of literally giving of yourself or giving of your time or giving of your resources right or giving of your finances right it's it's this kind of it doesn't make sense uh, instinctually to do it, but yet we do it uh, because we're taught it, not because we are it, if that makes sense. And I think that's an important place to start because if we, I think, if we just begin the conversation and, and presume that everyone is good and we're born good, then the new human ideology and theology, uh, it doesn't really have a f- place in the conversation. Because we're already good, right? We're already bent on on making the world a better place, on doing good things for other people. We're 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 born with an inclination to be less selfish and more self giving, and we inherently want to make the world a better place. I would disagree with that, just from my personal experiences of human beings and interacting with human beings, and then just a self reflection, right? I think honestly, I would enjoy doing things that I enjoy doing that make me comfortable that benefit myself and it is substantially more difficult to give of myself or to do things that end up lessening myself for the benefit of other people and so I would be I would be in the camp that yeah we're born with a presupposition towards evil and we need to learn good which is why this 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 new human concept is really uh kind of game-changing for the way that I understand the human soul and I think so let's take that let's start connecting dots so there's those two camps of thoughts okay I'm going to go off of the one in which we're born evil and we need to learn good or let's not well, born evil that's a really uh, bold term there Andrew let's say we're born with a presupposition towards selfishness and we have to learn to be giving loving and caring towards other people there you go it's the same thing so that wasn't always the case. I believe I, I truly believe those in camp one, hey, if you believe that people are inherently good, you're there's you're not wrong. I think there was some point in history where that was the case. And I and I look at the 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 Genesis narrative and you look at Adam and the creation of man and the creation of woman, and I think their souls were so perfectly aligned with God's 
that there was a presupposition towards good and good being what God dictated as good. That's a whole other conversation. When we talk about being good, you're like, well, what is good? And good kind of has to be something that's defined outside of humanity, right? Like I can't define good because my good might be different than your good and your good. Might. There has to be some kind of authoritative truth, which that's a whole buzzword conversation right now because nobody wants to talk about that. I do believe there's truth. I believe that truth rooted in uh, a person. That person is God. He laid the fr- the framework and the foundation for moral law and what is good and what is evil. So under that kind of theology is, is where I spur the direction of the human soul. So God creates Adam. Adam has a presupposition towards good with the option of evil, with the option of choosing his own way, becoming self-sufficient rather than relying on the goodness of God and, and the boundaries and the foundation that God created for him. Ultimately, even if you don't grow up in the church, you probably know this story, right? Adam and Eve choose their own self-centered desires, believing that God potentially is withholding something from them. They then get to dictate what is good and what is evil, and that transcends history into this chaotic crap show that God ultimately has to restore. So really interesting point there. Both camps are right. You're all right. You all get a spectator trophy. No, I mean, I, I truly believe that, right? And I, I think a lot of you would probably agree, right? There is people, at least when we look at the fundamental origin of the soul, it seems like there was a, a, a bend towards goodness. Then there was sin, right? There was a disobedience in what God laid out as good and evil. Man redefined that, and we begin the track of humanity becoming self-sufficient. And the moment you have self-sufficiency, this like instinctual self-survival, and and eventually it doesn't become survival, it becomes comfort and just gain in power. I can't wait to talk about power, by the way, on on this podcast. I'm like itching to talk about it. It's, it's a five page note in my big How's Your Soul podcast notes, which is now 37 pages long. It's, it's, it's like five pages of those and it's just tons of notes on power. I'm still working on it because I, I'm, I'm just obsessed with it. We'll get to there eventually. But humanity, right, really became inwardly focused and by inwardly not meaning like, you know, Uh, introspective at the soul level I literally mean they just became focused on themselves and that shaped what I would call the human soul the human soul inherently became a very self-focused individual and it became a discipline and a and a teaching to give up of your self and become uh, selfless and become sacrificial um, that was a, a difficult but yet um, respected path to choose for your life. Okay. Here's where I think this becomes really interesting. I've listened to Bema a lot. I haven't listened to the most recent stuff yet. I get there on and off every now and then. Some people say it's great. Some people say it's not that great. I don't know. I don't really have a formed opinion about it. But if you want to listen to seasons one through three, fire. So good. This is coming from season one, episode 18. Marty and Brent are talking about kind of what we're talking about, but in different, um, they're using different lingo. 
So rather than saying kind of like the old human and the new human, as it relates to the human soul, they're talking about the motivation and direction that the human soul ends up taking when they choose one of these two paths. One is much easier and typically, you know, it ends pretty satisfactory if, if, if you're living for a life on earth, right? You become really comfortable, really wealthy. Sure. You don't do everything ethically, but who cares? You're, you're self-sufficient and you're very comfortable. And the other one's much more sacrificial, much more demanding of the soul. And it's, and it's a much more disciplined process. So they would say, I'm putting it in the show notes, by the way, because it's in episode 18. They would say that this, the human soul reaches a crossroads where you can either begin the path of what they would consider kingdom of empire or the kingdom of shalom, kingdom of peace. So kingdom of empire is quite literally what it sounds like. like you're on a mission to build up your keyword your empire and that shouldn't be foreign to any of us even in christian circles right i'm, I'm looking you know at my job and my position and i'm looking at the responsibilities and the opportunities that are being given to me right and, and many of them it, it, they're strategic right what i take on and what i don't take on and where i think i'm going and what i think my next step is and maybe what i think my next um career is and right these are strategic things not just because i want to you know help other people they're they're strategic to help me and my family build what i'm trying to build for ourselves and, and so this is where it gets a little convoluted right because i would look at that and say yeah that's kind of like a selfish approach it doesn't have to be entirely selfish, right? I want to provide for my family and I want to do the best I can to love and support them and give them what they can or what they need and what they want, right? Be generous with what I have. These are all things that exist in the kingdom of Shalom, but sometimes it's like, man, as a Christian, I feel like I kind of teeter on both sides. Like my soul is, is either, uh, it, it's in both. It's in both. Like I can't just choose either. But anyway, kingdom of empire really is about building up yourself, building up your wealth, building up your status, building up your accomplishments, building up your empire, right? You leave a legacy of empire. You're known for the company you had, for the family you raised, for the financial freedom that you had, for the, for the status that you received, for the achievements that you were awarded, right? Whatever that is for you, that's what you're striving towards, your focus, your energy, your time, your resources. It's going towards that. And that alone, it becomes it, the fixed point in your life. Now, that is a path that's incredibly enticing to those that don't live in the worldview of Jesus. Or honestly, many worldviews have a notion of self-sacrifice, whether you believe in God or not. I'm obviously... I love Jesus. I follow Jesus and and he's creating a path for me that is not a kingdom of empire. It is what uh, Marty would say is the kingdom of of Shalom and it is this uh, it is this process and journey towards self-sacrifice. And it is this process and journey and and truly truly I can't even I can't even underestimate how important this is. The the discipline which we'll get to in a second the discipline of of giving of yourself the discipline of empathy and sympathy which i'm awful at just ask my wife right the the discipline of looking out for the needs of others before yourself 
the discipline of building up others, not yourself, the discipline of awarding others, the discipline of empowering others, the discipline of teaching and discipling others, the discipline of leaving yourself empty so that everyone else is full is the kingdom of shalom that is being built. Now, does that mean it's without reward? Absolutely not. The Bible's abundantly clear that those who engage this lifestyle, this path, if the soul begins to transition itself towards living towards a kingdom of shalom, there is rewards aplenty, not in an earthly sense, which requires a lot of faith and belief and trust, but in a heavenly sense, there is something profoundly incredible awaiting for you at the end of your life if you engage in and your soul is directed towards and focused on building a kingdom of shalom. Put another way, and maybe a way that even if you're on the fringe of Christianity, you might have heard this terminology more than once, and then we're going to get into the whole new human, old, old human thing. Um, the upside-down kingdom I don't know if any of you have ever heard of that before, but the, like, the upside-down kingdom is this notion that for most of human history, okay, so you look at post-Genesis, you have a, contextually, you have a very similar way that humanity functions, and it, it ultimately devolves into, into chaos to some degree. It ultimately devolves in the harming and hurting of other human beings, right? You see, you see tremendous uh, places of torture, of, of enslavement, of, of just brutality. You see manipulation. You see kingdom building where others' lives are put down so that the kingdom can be built. Right? You, 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 you continually see this, even within the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. They would arise so many times. And you just look at the historical context of the human soul. They were building a very clear kingdom. Okay, and I'm not even talking about collectively, though that sometimes that happened as nations, but even individually, they all operated very similar. And there was these individuals that were to come across the scene throughout the course of history, uh, predominantly in the BC era, and then leading forward to the life of Jesus. You had these people called the prophets who would come and they would kind of pitch a message that was very contradictory and very outside of what the known uh, way of life was. So here's just a really practical example. Okay. So, uh, you're living this luxurious lu lifestyle. Okay. And you're cheating people out of sure a few, a few dollars here and there as a tax collector. And then Jesus comes along and he calls you to a life that abandons all of that and demands that you pay for that you give back to, that you leave yourself broke so that those that you cheated can be right and made right again. Okay, and I, none of that made sense before. It was all about how do I build my kingdom most successfully and someone about it more ethically than others, but ultimately we're all moving towards the same purpose. They're all moving to that purpose of building empire. And Jesus came along and he said some really controversial things, as well as some prophets, prophets before him kind of set the stage. But Jesus came and, and we say he preached this upside down kingdom. Okay, like, like the first will be last and the last will be first. And you're like, okay, Jesus, what does that even mean? Because as far as I know, those that are first, they're the ones that get what I'm after, not the last. Right, Those that are at the head of the table will be at the foot and those at the foot will be at the head. The leaders will be the servants and the servants will be the leaders. 
Okay, hang on, Jesus. Wait, I, you know, I don't, I don't really, I don't really understand what you're, what you're referring. How does that even mean? You mean if I humble myself below all of my employees and do, let's say, the dirty work of the organization, I'm cleaning toilets and and I'm and I'm making sure that the inventory of whatever stocked and I'm cleaning dishes and I'm mopping the floors as the CEO, you're saying I'm going to be, I'm going to be in a better place. than if I led as the CEO and as they expect me to lead, hold on Jesus. Interesting because you have books, dozens, hundreds, thousands of books that are preaching Jesus's message. They just pitch it a little different way on how that's the best way to lead a company, servant leadership, just throwing that out there. But at the time, it would make so much more sense to be this confident, almost arrogant, dominant leader in the space, building this empire with clear direction and passion and vision and charisma. And whoever got in your way, you just trampled over. I'm thinking Mark Driscoll level stuff, if that rings a bell to those Christians that are really deep in culture, right? Mars Hill, this guy led an organization and he literally said, anyone who gets in my way will be run over by the Mars Hill bus. I can I can probably put that in quotes and put it in the show notes. I don't know if I can find it. Um, I'm sure I can find it. It was pretty controversial, right? But you have this you have this super confident leader who's leading in the space of empire and that's expected for the human soul that was the that was the way for centuries for millennia that the human soul operated and when jesus came on the scene he changed all that and I went to church this Sunday and the message was on the upside down kingdom, but he pitched in a really unique way. He said, it's, it's the right side up, which I thought was kind of cool. I actually liked that. I, I, I thought for a second, I was like, do I change my, do I change the title of my, my whole episode? Um, no, I kept it. But this whole notion is, Hey, you know, just because humanity screwed it up doesn't mean it wasn't God's original intent that we lived the way that Jesus prescribed. We're actually, when Jesus came onto the scene, he wasn't actually pitching anything new. It might've felt new to us, but he was actually just pitching the things that was original in the garden in the intent when God created the soul of man and the soul of woman and set them up for success in the garden. And he says, here's how you live right side up, right? Serve your wife, submit to your husband the last shall be first and the first shall be last, right? Give of yourself and you'll be rich. Die and you'll have life. It's like, what in the world are you talking about? That was all, that's all garden narrative. That's all narrative built in the human soul from the beginning. And we've since corrupted that. And Jesus has to come back and remind us and then re-invite us into this life. Now, here's where, here's the, you know, immaculate, part of this whole conversation was what's make it break it kind of thing 
because, you know, if you're a follower of Jesus or if you've kind of looked at Christianity, you hear about the cross and you hear about the resurrection and Christians make a big deal out of it for obvious reasons. But in, in, in this instance, it's, it's tremendously important. Okay. So I'm a really firm believer that I really can't adjust my soul, mostly because I don't even know much about it. I'm very undisciplined in how and what my soul is and how my soul behaves and when what motivates and draws my soul, right? What what captures my soul's attention, where my focus of my soul is. I'm kind of oblivious to those things because it's so deep, it's so deeply a part of me. I end up really thinking of like the symptoms of those things, right? What's like happening because of those motives and drives and decisions. I never actually drill down to the soul level. And even when I do, okay, let's pick like an addiction for an example, which I think is a soul level issue. When I drill down and I'm going really deep and I recognize that there's this huge addiction to pornography in my life, right? Like seven, eight, nine years ago. And I'm looking at that and I'm saying, wow, I need to change that. The fact that I said that already puts me in a failing position, I think. And I'm not, okay, this is, I got to make a little Cliff Notes note here. I know so many messages where they say, you can't do anything. It's all about Jesus. Just let Jesus take it over. Just give it to Jesus and surrender. Okay, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I think the level in which you become healthy from addiction is the level you give of yourself. But I'm saying the catalyst that will ultimately shift your soul away from those desires towards something else has to be something outside of yourself. It has to be stronger than yourself. Your soul is the deepest part of yourself. And it's, if that is deeply connected to addiction, how do you think you're going to change yourself at that point? It's who you are. It's a core part of who you are, right? You need this outside catalyst. You need this outside, bigger than life, more stronger, powerful, wiser person. Let's just put person out there, okay? Whether that's an eternal or temporal person. Let's just put person. Some other person stronger than you to come in and, and shift the inner workings of your soul away from who you currently are and what you're currently doing to this new path, this new life the new human see we're, we're drawing the connections here and so that's that's what i'm saying that's why this to me that's why the resurrection is so amazing and powerful jesus demonstrated a perfect life and then his resurrection was proof and an invitation that we can have the same life not because we can just go live it but because we get to be invited into his process and journey through, okay, now I'm getting real deep, through the power of the Holy Spirit, okay? So he says, as he's leaving to his disciples, I'm going to give you this this person, this spirit that's going to help you. Ultimately, what that means is, is he, hey, this person, he's going to get to the soul level. He's going to change things, change things about yourself that you never thought you can change. And you look at the life of Paul, right? And there's so many others, but you look at the life of Paul, someone who is dead set on, on removing Christianity from the planet and torturing Christians, killing Christians, whatever he had to do, because he thought it was absolutely horrendous what he was doing, what they were doing in the name of God, ironically. And then of course, Jesus comes down and says, yo, Paul, I'm calling you to be one of them. Paul isn't just going to change overnight unless something, someone stronger than him, more powerful than him, more divine than him, more eternal than him comes in and changes his soul. 
Ultimately, that's what happens, right? The Holy Spirit enters Paul. Paul's driven to a group of Christians, and they take him in and nurture him and take care of him and teach him. And boom, now he's this powerhouse that's indwelled with the Holy Spirit, and he becomes a new human, a new human. He leaned into that process. He said, absolutely, Jesus, whatever you'd like. And so he committed his whole self and his whole life. And because he committed that, he he ultimately allowed the soul to change and to shift, not because of him, but because of the catalyst that's within him, the Holy Spirit. And so I think this is really powerful as we talk about the new human, because the new human can only be achieved, okay, it's like new character unlocked kind of stuff, if the Holy Spirit's involved, because for my research, that seems to be the changing agent of this whole thing, right? You have God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, right? We call that the Trinity in Christian circles, right? The, the Holy Spirit's unique role here seems to be very much the, the agent, the individual that is capable of shifting and changing the deepest parts of yourself, aka the soul. So we've lived a very particular life, okay, as the old human. We're born into a, a, a set... A, a set lifestyle and, and we might have incredible parents we really do we, we have incredible parents that teach us the moral high ground of life and what it means to attempt to live the life that we're talking about the kingdom of shalom right the upside down kingdom the right side up kingdom right this life of, of self-sacrifice and self-giving right we, we, we you can have incredible influences on your life but there's some obstacle for you to become totally committed to that lifestyle. I've seen it over and over and over again. When I was a youth pastor, I used to see that over and over. I used to see kids, teenagers, middle school and high school, who were so captivated by this notion of the new human. And they and they they loved that. You know, kids are you know, we always give student ministry is such a bad rap where like kids don't really care about this stuff. No, kids care about this stuff, man. Sometimes they're smarter than freaking we are. They're asking questions that we haven't even thought about, right? And I genuinely think kids, they 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 want to do the right thing and they want to do the best thing, specifically if they've had parents that have kind of infused those values into them. But ultimately, they find themselves at a place where they're always doing the wrong thing. Ironically, Paul talks all about that, right? He's like, why do I genuinely want and my desire is for the good and yet my soul is just bent towards evil and I keep doing the wrong thing over and over and over and there's this frustration, that's embarking in this old human, new human habit. And I would say the catalyst of all of that is the Holy Spirit. That when we begin to invite that in and not just give reins over, not just be like, hey, whatever Holy Spirit, do what you want, you know, and you're just like laissez-faire. No, you got to be committed to the process and lean in. But ultimately you recognize that the Holy Spirit is the catalyst. It's the beginning. It's the ignition. It's the explosion and eruption of what's going to happen in your soul. And then he's saying, hey, you got to do something as well to really push this forward into a meaningful experience. And so when I see students really sell out to that idea and they, and they're like, yeah, God, I'm, I'm, I'm all, I'm a hundred percent on board with what you want me to do. You want me to, you want me to move my friend group? You want to, you want me to, you want me to change friends? You want me to get rid of this girlfriend in my life because it's a negative, she's a negative influence. You want me to, you want me to, rem- you want me to stop playing video games because of what it's doing. And I'm not saying video games are bad, right? I'm not trying to make that generalization, but there's all these things there's all these areas of life that students really get grasped into and they're trying to do the right thing, but they end up doing the wrong thing. 
And it's so powerful to see a student really truly say, I'm whatever you'd like. And then not just just be lazy, lean into whatever the next step is and do it. It's so cool. And begin to see that. Students. And then transitions over to adults. Us. Me. You. Who's listening to this podcast. We get to embark on that same journey of leaning in and attempting to live for a kingdom of shalom when we invite the Holy Spirit into the process. And there's so much deeper ramifications, right? I'm not one just to preach benefits, just to preach benefits. And right, that's like my sales pitch for you on why you should live this life. But there is so many benefits to the new human that Jesus is inviting us into. And there's a lot of, let me actually, before I, (laughs) hang on, before I get into the benefits, I just want to solidify that whole idea of new human, old human, because you see that all the time when Jesus is talking about his ministry and this whole kingdom purpose and this right i'm bringing the kingdom here and then he introduces this idea of baptism which is the true illustration of old human new human right you literally like quite literally you're burying the old human your old self you're essentially saying to your soul i am no longer living in this direction with this focus and then you come out and you say i'm living now for the purpose of christ and where christ wants me to do in the kingdom of shalom okay so All that to say, there's so many cool crossovers in the Bible with all that kind of cool stuff. But with the new human, there's these like, um, it's almost like superpowers. And and Jesus talks about this. Like Jesus says, and and I can't believe he says this because we we don't even, we never talk about this. Oh my goodness. And I got to look this up now. I got to look this up. Um, You will do greater things than I verse. This is live, people. This is live. We're looking it up right now. John 14, 12. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things uh, than these because I'm going to my Father. Interesting. What in the world does that mean? Right? It seems like Jesus is saying, man, you could be, like, you have the capacity to live like me. Right? I've lived this flawless, perfect life because of the catalyst of the Holy Spirit and him guiding Jesus through this whole process. Right, I, You now have the power of the Holy Spirit. You now have the capacity to do these things and even greater things. One of the byproducts and the benefits of being totally sold out to, to living in the invitation that is the new human is we have the capacity to live like Christ, which almost sounds uh, like hypocrisy. You know, it's like, you can't, you can't, you can't say that. Is that how, is that what, is that what the term is? Hypocrisy? Or is there another word that's like, um, anti, anti-theology? I'm spacing on on what the definition is. Um, but you know what I mean? It's like, uh, you, right. You can't, you can't say that. It almost sounds like that's not even Christian, but, but, but it's biblical, right? It's, we just read it. And so it's like, man, when, when we embark on this, this really cool journey of, of, of saying, Hey, Holy Spirit, be the catalyst in my soul to, to direct my soul towards the kingdom of Shalom. Now I begin to experience and begin to live like Christ, like Christ lived. And I have the capacity to continue to live like Christ. And, 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 and because of that, I, I get to love like Christ and serve like Christ and sacrifice like Christ and enjoy the peace that he had like Christ and have the confidence that he had like Christ. Like there's these amazing byproducts of living in the invitation of the new human. And I think oftentimes we dumb those down or we disregard them because of what we feel like we're giving up in the old human. We look at the life of the old human and if it's built on empire, then yeah, yeah. It looks like you're giving up a lot. And sometimes you really, like, you hear these stories 
I don't, I don't think this is everybody, but you do hear these stories of, of, and I was reading, oh gosh, what was that book? Uh, I actually think it was a podcast. <gasps> I think it was a podcast on, oh, it's coming back to me. Um, the Bible Project, one of the early episodes, they brought on two multimillionaires and they were just sharing their story of encountering Jesus and one of them literally had this moment where he recognized he had built this empire and and in submission to the new human and to put down the old human, he began to recognize that his material possessions and status were obstacles in the way of the of the life of the new human, of the life of Christ, of the capacity to have unsurpassed peace and confidence, right? So he actually sold a, a, a huge majority of what he owned, stepped down as the CEO of his company. He did all these incredible things to enjoy the life that Christ was calling him into, to die to this old human self, to pick up this new human self. He became this like relentless server in his community and built these other organizations to just serve the community. He wasn't getting anything out of it. He was just dumping money, his own money, just pouring it into these organizations so he can serve the community. It was so cool. And I don't think God calls everyone to that, but he could. He could. There's a parable in in Scripture where, uh, actually, this was not a parable. This was a legit situation that Jesus encountered. A rich man comes to him with all of his possessions and say, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? A.K.A. Jesus, what must I do to enjoy the benefits of living like a new human. And Christ says, go and sell everything that you have. And of course, he walked away disappointed and sad because his empire, it's tangible, man. You live in it every single day. That could be really hard to give up or at least put on the table for God to do something with. I mean, I mean, right? Like, hey, like you're successful you're making more than six, you're making, right, a few, half a mil, right? You're making, you know, some six figures, right? You're, you're, you're doing okay, right? You got a really nice house, right? And it's so terrifying to put that on the table and say, God, however you want to leverage this, leverage it. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let this keep me from experiencing the capacity to live like you. To love like you, serve like you, sacrifice like you, and then ultimately to experience the joy and peace and satisfaction that comes with living like you. It's a, it's a scary, it's a, I mean, it's a scary experiment. It's a, it's a scary reality. It's a scary reality, right? If you're really successful and you've built a kingdom of empire, I can totally see why that's a struggle for a lot of people. Because that is a reality. God could totally call people to give that up in pursuit of him because he knows the, 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 soul's, the soul's desires and motives. He, he knows what controls, the, what controls the soul, what motivates the soul. He knows that a kingdom of empire to the soul is, it is nice. It's comfortable. Yeah, there is a lot of joy and satisfaction in, in, in a kingdom of empire. 100%. Right? There are a lot of happy people that have a lot of things and are enjoying that and enjoying building up themselves. That is totally plausible as a lifestyle that leads to a lot of satisfaction and joy. But yet, as the great C.S. Lewis would say, they're really just playing with mud pies when there is a vacation at the sea. 
that there is something that they can't even wrap their mind around that's so immaculately more than that, where joy supersedes everything they ever experienced, where peace is just so unfathomably restful that they can't even they can't even imagine it because they're so focused on on kingdom of empire and, and, and God is, is begging. Honestly, quite literally, he's begging. He's he's calling, he's inviting, he's begging relentlessly and 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 he is all in on this idea that if you can just if you can say yes to the invitation of dying to your old self, that the soul would redirect, we call it repent. Woo woo Christian term, right? To turn around or to tor- turn towards is just the basic definition of repentance. So, hey, soul, move from this old lifestyle of empire, of a shal- uh, 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 kingdom of empire. Die to that. Put that on the table, the chopping block, and be willing to say, God, what would you have me do? I'll do it. And begin to experience the kingdom of shalom. What a powerful thing for the soul to begin to experience. And ultimately, right, God is doing this um, for our benefit. But there's an eternal aspect, right? The new human, that's, 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 that's heaven. Heaven's going to be full of, of a new humanity. People who have learned and disciplined themselves to, to be giving and loving and serving and self-sacrificing. And that reality is, is fully embodied when we go back to the garden, but not historically because we get to experience the garden in, in an eternal state um, in heaven. So there's this really, there's this just so many cool things to unpack there and so many cool things to unwrap. But I wanted to talk about the new human because I'm fascinated by it. I often think that I I pick up the old human probably one too many times throughout the day. I live in just old habits. I live in old thoughts. I live in old um, fears. I live in old um, worries and anxieties. I live in old frustrations. I live in old anger. I live in old resentment. I live in old um, uh, right bitterness. And I think God is continuously calling me to be the new human. Come, live like me, right? Live in this right side up kingdom, this upside down kingdom, this kingdom of shalom. Come and do these things. Die to these old things. And they can be difficult. Uh, Yeah, they will be. But hey, you have a catalyst. You have a catalyst that's going to shape your soul. And if you let him, he's going to ask you to do some pretty difficult things, but he will 100% be there on the journey, shaping your soul, changing your soul, strengthening your soul so that you can be like me. So you have a capacity to live like me, to live like Christ. And I think that's so cool. Such a profound experiment that we're a part of, that we're, that we're engaging. And I'm not just saying like hamster wheel type stuff. Like the opportunity for us to be like Christ is is right there in front of us. It's an invitation we choose to accept, and yet the the path seems so treacherous and so difficult and so uh, so self sacrificing and 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 so just giving of ourselves. And yet, for some reason, I believe that Jesus knows my soul better than I do, and that if I do those things, I'll be happier, I'll love more, serve more, I'll be more at peace, I'll have less anxiety and less fear in my life. And I do those things because. That's what the new that's what the new human embodies. It embodies those characteristics. And I want to be a part of that. So, just a couple a uh, couple thoughts your way.
hey, what, what world are you living in? Right? I, you know, do you feel like you're picking up the old human a lot? What would it look like for you to, to truly, like in a baptism sense, like put down to bury that old self and pick up the new self? What would it look like to even have a conversation? You know, I feel like I do this more often than not just in the car. Having a conversation with with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, and saying, "Yeah, these things in my life, I, I need you to be the catalyst of, because I can't change these things." And I know there's people that are listening, and they have things just like that, right? Whether that's addictions or uh, habits, lifestyle, um, whether that's uh, something that's just holding and tugging the the human soul, your human soul, from keeping you from experiencing what Christ wants. It's there, you know, it's there, uh, but you can't fix it, and so you just have to have a conversation of of Hey, Holy Spirit, like. You're the catalyst here, and, I, and I'm willing to go all in, and I'm committed, and I'm gonna do, I'm gonna act, but you gotta, you gotta be the one that shifts my soul because it, I can't, right? I can't do that. So cool. Uh, if we, if the church, you know, really truly did that, and it starts with me, right? I can't just say church, church, you're not doing this right. You know, I know I say that on the podcast sometimes, too many times, to be honest, but it really starts with me. It starts with me waking up tomorrow. And saying, you know what? This is the life I'm going to choose to live. The invitation is there. God's calling me to be a new human. Let's freaking do it. Let's freaking do it and see how God begins to shape my heart and my soul and what I end up becoming because I've leaned into the process and said yes to what God's asking me to do. 